When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Toad the Wet Sprocket frontman Glenn Phillips rocks Union Stage in Washington, D.C. next Wednesday, January 18th. We spoke about the band's biggest hits from Walk on the Ocean to All I Want to Good Intentions, as well as his favorite solo records. Glenn Phillips, hey, thanks for joining us on WTOP. Jason, yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Now, all of us know your your Toad the Wet Sprocket stuff. You've got a ton of solo stuff. I assume we'll hear a little bit of all of it at the Union Stage in D.C. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, so let's start there. What what do we expect from the show? Is it like, you know, the old Toad Greatest Hit stuff? Is it swallowed by the new new stuff, solo stuff? What we got? It's a, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, I enjoy playing the Toad stuff, some stuff from the new Toad records, stuff from solo albums, uh, probably some stuff from side projects. So it's, it's a little smorgasbord. We love the smorgasbord. When you're, anything when you're involved, it's going to be good. Uh, so what, what about, what is some of the newer stuff that might be on there? Do you, I know you put out, was it last year? Was it solo out? There is so much here was last year. Yeah. Are we going to hear what all from that might we hear? Oh, uh, sound of drinking. Uh, I mean, well, songs that have never been played on radio mostly. So <laughs> <laughs> your fans uh, know you have the album. You can, you can look forward to it. Yes. But, um, yeah, I, I I play a good good section of the songs on that brand new blue and uh, I was a riot and Stone Throat and um, Sound of Drinking. So um, yeah, it, it just normally what I do is I write down like forty songs or so on a piece of paper and then I see where the evening leads. So one of the things I like about a solo show is it, it tends to be a little less structured than than a. a a toad show although i will be joined by my friend jonathan kingham so uh i will for a large portion of the set limit myself to songs that we're capable of playing together so uh probably less less random than sometimes but uh more random than others it's it's a funny thing like the songs on this record all came off of um they came out of a songwriting game that i play um it's this guy matt the electrician who's a songwriter in austin texas and every week he sends out a title and there's about 25 of us and we each use that prompt as like you know to to write a song so it's the starting point of uh the starting point of a song so all the titles on this record came out of that game Wait, how do you generate the um, and, titles though? Is it like they throw them in a hat or how does it work? How do you come up with the title? He just sends an email and you know, so uh, you know, every every title on this record. So it's, you know, I was a riot, called a moon dust, uh, you know, that 
they brand new blue. They all just came to me. And then I'm like, okay, I got to write a song. Uh, and you know, you, you get a, you know, I've written a lot of those over the years and, uh, decided to throw some together. A lot of these were kind of from the lockdown period, but the funny thing for me was kind of assembling them and then realizing that I'd turned a corner, like kind of retroactively. I hadn't been writing towards a solo album. I'd just been playing this game here and there. And I looked at all these songs and I was like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay again, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Cause uh, you know, it won't, I'm sure something something catastrophic will, you know, in Santa Barbara, we just had catastrophic flooding yesterday. I mean, things always happen, uh, but it was really uh, great to look at this batch of songs and realize like, oh, I've been writing like love songs and songs about just, I don't know, noticing life as opposed to like trying to peel into the core of, of uh, the experience of grief, which is also extremely useful. Um, but uh, it, it's good to get a break every once in a while. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, well, all the best out with, with the flooding and everything going on now, too. It's got to be a, a wild time. Um, it's bizarre because well, it's, it's five years to the day of the debris flows uh, that, like, kind of you know, wrecked either side of my old neighborhood. And like, it, it's just, it's bizarre. And I, I think of all the people, especially in Montecito who um, had to evacuate, you know, five years to the day where uh, it, it's just kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah, totally. And that's, and that's home to you. Uh, so whenever I have someone on, I love to sort of move chronologically after, you know, after the opening spiel about the current gig. <laughs> I'd love to hear sort of how you got into it. So I know you're born in Santa Barbara in uh, California in like 1970. Um, and then mm -hmm. uh, you formed Toad the Wet Sprocket in like 86. How did that formation come about? I'm sure a story you've said many times, but let's have it for posterity here, here on WTOP. Oh, we were all theater nerds. We were all in choir. We were all in high school theater. And uh, we were, what what plays did we need? And we did Oklahoma and we did, uh, you know, uh, Thornton Wilder's classic Our Town. Of course. Uh, so the, every um, high school does that, right? <laughs> you got to do Our Town. It, it saves a lot on sets. <laughs> it's, it's really easy really easy for the the, the tech crew to handle yeah uh, you know just throw some ladders up there and you're good so uh yeah we met in high school theater and the uh they were all seniors i was a freshman and uh todd the guitarist and kind of you know we're two main writers in the band he lived a couple blocks from me we actually have the same floor plan uh and uh you know, he had a nice big woody station wagon. And so I could throw my bike in the back and I was lazy. So I'd get a ride home from school from him. And then he ended up, I was like really more of, I was at the time really into uh, like Ozzy and Rush. And he was uh, really into Husker Du and the replacements. And he kind of changed my musical course and we started writing songs together and, you know, it was just a high school band that, that uh, somehow stayed together. <laughs> what, was, what was the big hit in high school? Like what was the one at high school dances that you actually played? You know, what was that doing that thing you do for you guys? <laughs> 
Oh, we didn't really have one. I mean, here's <laughs> the weird thing about us. We we learned a couple of covers. We we got to play a couple of covers. But we were much more like, you know, shoegaze before it was a thing. Um, and so the place we played the most was this place called Pat's Grass Shack. And uh, the guy who ran it, Larry, he was, he was uh, really not a fan of ASCAP and BMI, uh, the performance rights associations. So like if you play covers in a club, that club has to pay a monthly fee uh, so that the songwriters and the publishers get paid for the music being played. Uh, and he thought that was asinine. So he wasn't like a fan of local music, but just because he was a cheap bastard, he made it into like an originals only club. <laughs> so <laughs> like he would pull the plug if you played happy birthday. So <laughs> no royalties uh, here. No royalties there. So we ended up like learning to write. I mean, it was like the closest club to where we lived. And uh, so we ended up like having, I don't know, like we were in all originals band kind of from the very beginning. And uh, I, that was just kind of the, the start of it. Like we had to write. So we did write. And I think a lot of other bands, you know, when they're, like getting their start, like you learn everyone else's material. And we we just wrote our own songs because we had to. I love it. Well, it paid off for sure because you had all those great songs for those first few albums there. But real quick, I want to get into some of them. But what? how did the name come about? Was it like a Monty Python sketch or something? Yeah, it's from, uh, it's a sketch called Rock Notes. That's like a, you know, fake like MTV News style Um you know, I don't know, like rock rock news show. And it's right. just this series of like ridiculous band names, totally nonsensical band names, you know, band names like poached herring and a white wine sauce. And uh, <laughs> Toad the Wet Sprocket was one of them. And we had a gig, but we didn't have a name. And Dean, our bass player, really was like, let's call it Toad the Wet Sprocket. It would be hilarious. I just want to see it in print once. And so <laughs> we did it as a joke. And then we were going to come up with something really cool. And then like weeks turned into months, turned into a year. And we realized, you know, there were like 10 people coming to see us by that point. So like we couldn't change the name then. And so uh, it's, a, it's a good object lesson in, um, you know, any, in getting it right the first time, you know, like <laughs> no filler because your filler may actually become permanent. Hey, it's going to stick. So better be good. Yes. From the start. Did you ever that that just sparked something for me? Did you ever hear from any of those Python guys? You know, John Cleese, Eric Idle, after, you know, after you guys became famous, said, uh, hey, you oh, stole yeah. that Eric from Idle's, us. <laughs> Eric Idle sent a notice. Uh, basically, he, he said, I don't, heard you on the radio. I almost drive my, drove my car off the side of the road. Uh, <laughs> and he said, I, I promise not to sue you if you send me a gold record, if you ever earn one. And so it. we did. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no, uh, no cease and desist from that. They was they were good sports and said they they were happy you made it famous. That's great. No cease and desist. Uh, the strangest thing actually is that there is a second uh, to the wet sprocket in England. There was a north. Uh, there was a to the wet sprocket that did. It was called like Masters of Metal or something. They have a, a song called like Blues in D. Uh, so we're not even the only Toad the wet sprocket. 
that's that's the the strangest part. Oh, there's multiple toads. All right, never. Who would have known? Multiple sprockets. Who would have known? Um, awesome. Well, of course, yeah. Like you said, he said, send it if you become a gold record. So yeah, of course, you guys took off. Well, I, well, I guess there was a couple albums there first in '88, Bread and Circus, and Pale in '90. Um, but you really broke through on you know alternative radio at least with that third one, Fear in '91. I mean, that's sort of that was sort of you know the soundtrack of my life, man. We all grew we all grew up with that oh, stuff. Take thanks. me if you don't mind, I would love to take me a deep dive into Walk on the Ocean. That was such a great opening track. But do you know how that how you came up with that one? Uh, the the story is once again anything that ever worked for us. I mean, we worked hard, but it seems like the things that kind of blew up were all bizarre little accidents. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that song, Todd wrote the music for it. And we, you know, we were at our practice place and we were recording a little demo of it and didn't have any lyrics. And Todd's like, let's just write something quick. Cause like, I don't know, like, let's get it done for the day. And so I took like, I had just gone on a trip up to uh, the San Juan Islands in Washington state and, you know, hung out with a bunch of hippies at this place called Doe Bay on Orcas Island, where there's these like great kind of natural hot springs. And that was probably on my mind. And so I scratched out a lyric in about like five, 10 minutes and just, you know, have no idea what the chorus means at all. And, <laughs> and then, you know, recorded a quick vocal. And then when we came, when it came time to record it, I was going to do like a non dummy lyric and just nothing ever really happened. I, I like couldn't make anything else work and everybody thought it felt good. So we just went with it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. People always want to know what it's about. And there's, there's persistent rumors. There's a rumor that it was about like a young life camp. Uh, but a what I, camp? I went to camp young life. Okay. It's like a, a Christian summer camp, a youth group thing uh i went to camp young judea so it, it probably wasn't about that probably but, wasn't uh, that <laughs> probably wasn't that but you know whatever people need <laughs> right art is subjective people take it and run with it in whatever <laughs> direction they want well uh cool which is well, great and honestly that's i mean one of the things about writing songs that i love is i have had people i've had people for the same song approach me and be like that song's about coming out of the closet, isn't it? And then another person saying like, that song's the same song. Like you're a Christian, aren't you? That's, that's, a, and it's like, wow, like neither are my personal experience. And it like really overjoys me to have the, like have people, I don't know, have, have such a variety of interpretation. I think that's the beauty of music. That is, it's so well said. So well said. Well, that same album, real quick, one more. Of course, we got my listeners will kill me if we don't talk about it all I want. I mean, that thing was huge. That was even bigger than Walk on the Ocean. But uh, any good stories of where you were when you came up with that one or in the studio with the guys putting that one together musically? Or, you know, what are the goods on All I Want? I mean, when, uh, well, the main thing, the, the recording of All I Want, considering it's one of our happier sounding songs, uh, I think the, the, silliness in the recording of that was like it was the first time i ever like broke down and cried in the studio oh <laughs> why is that we're because i couldn't get it in tune it's got this like kind of tight i've been listening to a lot of the bulgarian women's choir it, it doesn't sound anything like bulgarian music but uh bulgarian music they do a lot of like 
major and minor second harmonies, like basically two notes right next to each other, where you're just like holding holding tones that are a half step away. And I, I love the way that sounds. And so the chorus, the idea and what we've done on the demo is this big cluster of notes together. And, you know, we'd recorded basic tracks. We were overdubbing a 12 string and I couldn't get the 12 string. We spent hours and hours and like finally gave up on the 12 string. And then I went in and was recording vocals and was doing these harmonies and they just sounded sour. And over and over, we would, I would try singing it and nothing sounded good. And I like lost it because I'm like, I can't sing. I suck. This is, and then finally the, the producer was like, wait one second. Let me, let me solo the bass. And it turned out the bass was out of tune. <laughs> and so everything else, everything else in the track sounded like sour and terrible. And so then we re-recorded the bass and then it was easy to record. But it was like as happy a song as it was. It was this like really mind-wreckingly difficult song to record just because never, never try to record a song over and out of tune bass. It, it's nothing but sadness. Man, we're we're all uh, happy listening to that song. Literally, do literally do we know that you're breaking down in tears trying to put it together, <laughs> put it together for yeah, it? Yeah, it was it was hard. Oh wow! I mean, you know, worst things have happened to me, but it was on that day. It felt like it was everything. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> absolutely, that is a great story. Thank you. There, but there's nothing like being incapable of singing and making something sound good to to like really um, drag up. Because I mean, half of being an artist is uh, imposter syndrome. Of course. And uh, if you're if you're making your like debut major major label record, you can't sing in tune. It, it's a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, that'll that'll really feed the imposter syndrome right there. <laughs> yes. But you weren't an imposter. It was real, man. Those those songs took off. And is, is it I true? fooled you all? You fooled us all. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, Is it true that Good Intentions was originally written or recorded for that album, but you guys cut it because you didn't think you didn't think it was was good enough or something? Then you brought it back for that. What was that called? In like syrup, that oh, like rare track album. Thing? Yeah. We thought it was too pop. I mean, the the funny thing about us is like we found our, you know, we ended up getting played on top 40 radio and pop radio and stuff. But we we were like, once again, the bands that we loved were bands like The Replacements and Husker Du. Like we felt like or, you know, even 
you know, REM back before REM was on the radio, right? There, there was this period of kind of, you know, college music, it was called at the time, before people started calling it alternative music. Right. There's this whole period where it was post-punk, it was post-modern, it was, you know, the like, it was a genre in search of a name. Right, what were you going to call still, it? Yeah. And it was still mostly on college radio. Although there was like 120 minutes right at night on 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 MTV back when they still played music and and we felt like we were out of that world and so we didn't want to be a pop band uh, and and when we you know it was really it was a strange time I mean if you remember that was when like you know Counting Crows and uh pearl jam like they wouldn't play their singles live or they'd mangle them like you'd get signed on a major label and then you'd act like you don't want anybody to see you or hear you (laughs) and um it was just a particular tick of like 90s alternative music and uh so it was strange for us we we did good intentions uh and we were like eh, it's just it's too pop you know not not what we are we're we're edgy and we're you know i mean we weren't loud and and edgy in that way but we wanted to be emotionally you know heavy and kind of thematically heavy um so yeah we just left it off because it was pop (laughs) i mean (laughs) even all i want almost didn't make the album for the same reason and when it was decided to be a single, it was, I think, the third or fourth, I think it was the fourth single, third or fourth single on the album. And the album was almost done. And we were we were not exactly into it being the single. Like, uh, so, yeah, it was a surprise, surprise that that was the one that worked. That's hilarious to me. The song, you're like, eh, it's too pop, let's leave it off. And then a couple years later, it's on the Friends soundtrack. <laughs> You know, yeah, there's a lot of that about, though, like people writing a song is kind of a joke or, you know, um, a reaction. I mean, closing time, apparently the same thing was, right. you know, Dan Wilson kind of, oh, the company wants a hit. OK, I'll write a song with the same chord progression all the way through and I'll make a little joke because it's really about birth. Ha ha. Right. Like, right. Uh, it's, you know, they're, they're or I'm not going to write you a love song was another like you know, F you to an A&R guy. Yeah, it was literally her, it was literally her saying, I'm not going to write you guys a love song. And then it becomes, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the single. So, um, you know, it happens. What it's, was the other funny one like that? If God was one of us, remember that? Joe Nosborn? Yeah, that was, I think it was, oh God, David Bazilian wrote it. And it was, he was teaching his wife how to use a four track recorder. Like, and then just kind of started going, see, you lay a chord, bro. okay, we'll do this. And then you put a <laughs> lyric down, and, you know, a total accidental song, but sometimes <laughs> those work. That that reminds me, uh, we interviewed, what was uh, Brian McKnight, and he said he, he wrote that song about back at one, one, you're like a dream come true. And he said he was just putting together his... Uh, his like TV entertainment set and was going through the instructions. It said one repeat steps, one, two, three. <laughs> it's uh, funny how the inspiration's everywhere, right in front of you. Um, exactly. But I'm sure, did you ever hear from the friends folks, the cast or anyone saying, Hey, you know, we boosted your sales or vice versa. Uh, no, I think I, I ran into 
Courtney Cox once at some event and said, oh, you were in our video. And she had no idea who I was. And she was like, what? Who are you? Uh, and <laughs> apparently, yeah, but that's about it. <laughs> well, it was an amazing song. I, I love I love at the end when it kicks in, you know, the clench my fist and close my eyes. You know how you always uh, kick it up a notch in the end there. That's my favorite yeah. part of the song. Uh, all right. Well, we could we could literally go through all the albums, but um, let, give me at least one off. What was um the next? Uh, oh, fall, uh, Something's Always Wrong and Fall Down were off of that fourth album. How do you even say it? Dul- Dulcinea? Dulcinea. Dulcinea. Ah, damn. I almost had it. <laughs> how did you come up with Fall Down? Oh, I can't even remember. Fall Down was another one that was Todd's music. Uh, Fall Down was an older song. I think we wrote that actually before uh, the Fear album came out, but we just it didn't didn't make that album. So, yeah, uh, yeah, super old one. There's so many old ones. Well, let's bring it a little more into your solo stuff because I know, um, you know, Toad the Wet. I mean, you had Coil, which was the fifth album, and Come Down and some other hits, but then you guys took yeah. like a long hiatus. Uh, I know you would eventually get back together with New Constellation and starting now, but um, for a while there, the band broke up. What what caused the breakup, or what made you want to go off and do some solo stuff? Um, I I think we just reached that point. We'd started young. And, uh, I mean, you know, looking back on it, I wish that some people in our camp had, uh, sat us down and said, get him, get a mediator, get into counseling as a group (laughs) and, and go do some other stuff and come back in a couple of years. Like you, you only get one chance at this. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think at the time, uh, we were a little bit entitled because we, this was the only thing we'd ever done, and it worked. So we thought, oh, that's how life works. Uh, it turns out it doesn't, uh, <laughs> except in <laughs> rare instances. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, more than that, we were just highly dysfunctional and needed to get away from each other. Uh, and we had tried to make an album after Coil, and we just couldn't work together. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, needed to go do other things. Uh, and I, I think we were overconfident in our ability to just pick up and move on and do something else. And, you know, uh, but uh, learned a lot really quick after we did that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you had plenty of time to learn. I mean, you rattled off like what ten solo albums? Is that what you're up to right now? I think so. I gotta count it. Yeah, something like somewhere that. around that. Something I mean, like between that. that and then there's the, you know, Works Progress Administration and Mutual Admiration Society, Remote Tree Children, Plover. I think that's all the side projects. I, I've done <laughs> a lot of stuff. Nobody's heard any of it, but I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> A lot of them are independent labels and stuff, but it's still really mm-hmm. cool. Well, you know what? While we're, while you're on here, before you run, if our listeners, you know, who n- maybe know the Toad the Wet Sprocket stuff, but want to do a deeper dive into your solo stuff, which album or two would you want to pluck out and say, hey, maybe start here to get a vibe of, of my solo sound? Like, do you have, you know, a suggestion on where they should start? I would say the last two albums. I mean, there's so much here is the newest album and it's a more like, there's so much here and winter pays for summer, probably the two most produced albums. I did a lot of records that were kind of deliberately more naked sounding just because I tour solo acoustic and on the new album, you don't I decided, tour naked though. <laughs> I, under my clothes, naked. I am. 
<laughs> uh, under my clothes, I am. It just sounds naked. But the uh, the new album, I decided to just have fun instead of making it smaller. So I, I really enjoy the sound and the kind of extravagance of uh, There Is So Much Here. Uh, and then I think the album before that, Swallowed by the New, is, is probably thematically my favorite one i mean it was written kind of post-divorce and it's it's an album about just grief and what happens when things you love change and i you know was i don't know i i I went into um you know it was a time when my nest was emptying my kids were moving out like it was the biggest change i'd ever had and um instead of writing like a a breakup breakup album because usually it's very relational. Like, how could you break my heart? You're so mean. Uh, and this was much more about just what it means to love things that change or go away. And uh, that that applies, you know, to, uh, you know, the death of a loved one, to divorce, to losing a home, to having your kids grow up, to illness. And I, I feel like that's the record that I've had the most, like, letters about. Um, where it's just meant something to people when they're going through a big change. Um, but the new record is a lot of fun and uh, it's a little more on the hopeful tip. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was about uh, being in lockdown and, you know, the title track, uh, uh, well, it's called Sound of Drinking Water, but there is so much here is what what it says on the chorus. And just that you know, from going for a life where I've always been able to kind of leap from peak experience to peak experience, you know, I get to go and travel places and I I just, I've tended to want to, you know, run off and, you know, do things and, you know, travel and, and uh, push my edges. And during lockdown, I got my edges pushed by, being in one place and moved in with my fiance and, and, you know, uh, had to just learn how to uh, appreciate subtle changes instead of always moving from peak experience to peak experience. And so uh, it's just, yeah, it's about being, being mindful, noticing the little things. I love it. Pushing the edges. Sometimes you had to stay in one place to push the edges in this case. And well, that's a lot of us. There is, in the last couple of years. I know there's an edge in staying in one place. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I know. Great. Well, I know you joke. I know you joke that, you know, a lot of the solo stuff was quote stuff. No one's heard by because you're a very humble guy, but pe- dude, people, people watch breaking bad. They heard the whole, you know, some of your stuff's out there. Oh, I know things, things are out there. Things are out there. But episode two of Breaking Bad was 2006, I think. Gosh, wow. Yeah, and I'm still thinking of <laughs> I'm still thinking of it as like a recent show. But yeah, you're right. It, it did. Yeah. But <laughs> that, that, that was off of Unlucky of Seven. Saying, so yeah, that's if bad. If there's thing. any musical supervisors listening right now, I could really use another place. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get you into many shows. Uh, all right. Well, well, we'll let you run. You've been so generous with your time. Um, thanks so much. Uh, best of luck with the flooding. And the, I know your airport got flooded out. So now you're trying. Are you trying? Where you're trying to get to Nashville before you come to DC? Is that right? Yeah, I was supposed to. I got got uh, up to the gate yesterday, and then the uh, the uh, uh, runways were flooded. So um, hopefully, I'll be able to get out today. 
Yes. Best of luck. Safe travels. Um, again, Glenn Phillips, uh, you know, you know him from Toad the Wet Sprocket. Tons of solo stuff. Come to Union Stage uh, in D.C. next Wednesday. So get your tickets now for January 18th. Hey, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And I should say, too, I'll be there with my friend Jonathan Kingham. He accompanies me. He's kind of open as well. He's he's awesome. Uh, also plays Toad and uh, uh, plays Toad in Keys, plays Keys uh, in Toad on tour. So, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.